Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Labelling the Disabling, which is where we call out what actually disables people with disability by labelling it. I'm joined today by my co-host Ed Burt. Hi Carol, hi everybody. And we are sponsored by the Disability Trust and we are meeting today with Lord Kerrick and Andrew Kerrick, owners of Renaissance Homes in the Australian Capital Territory, the ACT, our nation's capital, and winners of the Australian Capital Territory's Chief Minister's Award for Access and Inclusion uh, with regard to their work on making homes accessible. Thank you for joining us, Lud and Andrew. Our pleasure. Thank you. Um, We might start today, um, Lord. I did a little bit of reading about your uh, disability and um, what happened to you. And I'd just like to start by saying and sharing a quote that I heard a little while ago, which was that, what's the difference between a person with disability and a person without disability? And the answer to that might surprise many people. The answer was four seconds. Uh, and in your case, that might be quite uh, poignant and prominent. Can you talk to us about um, how you acquired your disability? And also, uh, before yeah. you acquired it, did you ever think about disability? Was it something that you had before? Was it something that you ever thought about? Uh, no, I hadn't really thought about it. I mean, some of my friends thought I was an idiot on a push bike at times. So <laughs> I always reckon I was going to come into grief. But, um, yeah, no, I, I hadn't thought about it seriously at all before my injury. How, um, how long ago was your injury, Lud? It's been um, t- 10 years. Ten. Uh, it was 10 years in March. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a cycling injury, is that correct? How, how Can you yeah, tell us what happened? Yes, it was. Um, yes, it was. It was a, a, a cycling injury. I'd been um, training for, for the Port Macquarie Ironman event, which was only about a, a week, which was about a week uh, after the event, after I'd got my injury. Mm. And um, I just went for a little ride from home, a little cool-down ride. And um, on a on a shared path, and uh, I got hit by another uh, cyclist coming in the other direction around a reasonably blind blind bend, right. mm. and uh, I'd uh, become a quadriplegic, had a um, a uh, spinal injury at C five six level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you tell us? Um, you know, you were so active, you know, as you say, preparing for the Ironman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're a keen fisher, fisherman. Um, you know, everything that I've, I've sort of read or seen about you, you, you're not much you didn't enjoy doing in, you know, in terms of leading an active life. Um, to go from, yeah. from that um, person to, to uh, having, to being a quadriplegic, uh, tell us what, what, what was that like for, for somebody adapting to a spinal injury? Um, I, uh, look, I, I lost, uh, 25 kilos in weight in hospital. So I was, wow. um, quite gaunt and, uh, at times, you know, sort of, uh, uh, you know, your thought, thoughts go through your mind that, that, uh, you, you'd had enough of it and you, and, uh, you weren't weren't too fussed if you died, if you know what I mean. Mm. Mm. Uh, 
but I, I had tremendous support from my family and my my uh, wife Margaret and uh, Andrew, um, as well as uh, their partners and my other son Malcolm, um, were a great support to me. Without them, I don't know where I would have been, to be honest. Wow, yeah, so when, when we were talking about that, you'd never really given any thought to disability. Um, your friends thought you were crazy, but you weren't even on a really crazy ride by the sound mm. of it. You were just on a just a regular ride that any of us might take in mm. uh, on a bike path, for example. It wasn't even on the road. And then all of a sudden you are in this place um, of disability mm. um, and you've had the support. Can you tell us a little bit about that recovery? So you, did you come home from the hospital and... Well, I, I'm a, at, uh, when I was in hospital, I was told I'd be there eight months, I think it was. And uh, so I always had that target in mind to the, to the point when uh, the eight months was up, I think they would have liked to have kept me in a little longer, but I'd, I, um, I, uh, I went home. Yeah. Um, uh, to Andrew, Andrew had been building a new house for his family at the time and he actually had it modified so mm. um, Margaret and I could move into there. Wow. Uh, during, during my initial recovery, yeah. Yeah. So, Can, so, so you were builders already. You were already builders. You had this building business. So you were obviously yeah. quite driven in terms of you had your own business. Mm. You were, you know, somebody said a building project could take eight months. You want to get it finished on time, the same with your recovery. Mm. Um, Andrew, what was that like as a builder to then have to shift your focus from building a regular house to modifying mm. it? Um, yeah, it was interesting because we hadn't really had any experience, um, you know, in in uh, accessibility and and you know, high physical design. Um, you know, there was all obviously the obvious things like no thresholds and, and wheelchair friendly. Um, but I guess with a high level injury, it goes a lot further than that. So I guess in that, that first 12 months, Dad, uh, there was no uh, spinal care unit in Canberra. So we had to be yeah. airlifted to Sydney. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, uh, our family pretty much relocated up there too. Um, for the next eight months, 90% of the time, you know, mm. while the house was being built. So I guess for me, it was just a matter of researching, um, you know, and, and, and talking to the, you know, the physical therapists and the occupational therapists that were available at the hospital to get some sort of idea. Uh, in the end, you know, what we came up with was a bit of a compromise because the house was already designed and under construction when dad had his accident. Um, but it worked for 18 months, um, you know, and it gave gave the family time, you know, to to come to grips with the injury and for Dad to understand, you know, what his needs would be, um, mm -hmm. and um, you know, and and then to be able to design and build his own home down the track. Fantastic. So uh, you so that that so you were there for 18 months in the, in this home that you'd had to quickly sort of adapt the uh, the plans and the designs. Yeah, to... they had to, they were in the, their living room was the bedroom and the yep. study was mum's get away from dad for a few minutes room <laughs> and, the, and the outer room was their bathroom, but it but it worked. Yeah. Okay, 
Yeah. And how much was out there, would you say, how much information was out there about building accessible mm. homes or access um, for people with disability? Um, how much information was – I know we've got the Building Code of Australia and there are some guidelines within that, um, but yeah. how how yeah. Mm. how much was actually out there really? Um, not much, and really there's very little in the Building Code of Australia. It doesn't yeah. really have any uh, residential – you know, accessibility directions or requirements at all. Uh, it was the Australian standards mm-hmm. um, that contain all that information. Um, and, you know, it, it provides all the guidelines on adaptability and accessibility, um, you know, which gives you a heads up. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, disabled individuals um, all have very differing needs. Mm. Yep. Uh, You know, the standards, uh, I guess, are written for, you know, from a universal viewpoint, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it also comes down to to learning about the individual requirements and and the level of the injury and Mm. uh, and what the injury means as well. And how much... Sorry. Yeah, go on, go on. Yeah, look, what we did, you know, certainly what we did see in the eight months that were up in Sydney uh, was how many people were in the spinal care unit for no other reason than that they didn't have any appropriate housing to go to. Um, you know, that's when as builders, you know, and, and a family, we started realising that there's just no accessible housing. Um, mm. Mm. And there's not really even any livable housing or universal housing, you know, let alone accessible housing out there. Uh, and that created the, a net effect of, of people being in hospital for no reason in that that's mm. the only place that they could be live, could live and be cared for. Mm. Um, they were either waiting for a house to be built or they were waiting for extension, expensive refurbishments to be done. Um, mm. And, you know, that can drag on for years, particularly when insurance companies are involved. Mm. Um, and it was really yeah. because, you know, there isn't a base level of homes out there that can be accessible or easily modified. Mm. And how I, I just built a house we moved in three years ago um, and, as I said, I'm legally yeah. blind and I wanted extra windows to let a lot more light in and um, that yeah. sort of stuff and I tried to work on a few things. But every time you turn a corner, it's, oh, that'll be 20 grand more, that'll be 50 grand more, that'll be this more, that'll be uh, maybe it won't fit in with the um, – what are those environmental standards or whatever the councils are looking at? I forget the name of it. There's a qualification. But as builders, would you say that it is really that much more expensive to put in these access um, standards or these inclusions that could be put in without having to retrofit them? How much more expensive is it? Or is it just builders thinking that's too hard so I'm going to bump the prices up? Or, you know, is that a trade secret? Or I don't know, like... Oh, look, I think, uh, you know, uh, builders don't like change or bureaucracy, so we kind of tend to resist change. I mean, you know, when they brought in energy efficiency and energy ratings, we resisted that, and now you'd never build a house without insulation or, you know, in the mm. ceiling or walls. Uh, yet 15 years ago, we did. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, and the MBA and the HIA have kind of taken a voluntary approach to, to universal housing being um, uh, rather than a codified approach, which, which hasn't really worked because builders don't spend extra money when they don't have to. Mm. Um, well, they've got I to guess, make a profit. I'm not blaming them. Oh, you know, sure. you, you've got a yeah. business, you've got to make a profit. I'm not yeah. trying to 
attack anything, but that's look, a uh, really the, good example. The biggest thing that I discovered, which is what's the most frustrating thing, is, is it is very inexpensive. Um, okay. You know, building to, to a universal silver or gold standard, you know, mm. on the, the Livable Housing Australia guidelines. Yep can be very block and, and house type dependent. But, you know, in our experience, we found that, um, you know, our most popular project home going from our original design to livable silver, we're talking about $1,200. Wow. Uh, and going, Nothing. Going, going up to a gold standard or the LHA guidelines uh, in the vicinity of about uh, two and a half to three and a half thousand. Mm. Once again, it can be very dependent on the block mm. and the block slope. Mm. Um, but the considerations are very inexpensive. Um, and, you know, when you take take into account that a lot of builders' product can be modified without a- actually having to add any area and still meet compliance, mm. um, then we're just talking, uh, you know, minor costs such as... Uh, you know, increase increase in door sizes, mm. um, which would be one of the main ones. Yeah, but there's an argument there that you know the, the whole of Australia uses the old 820 door. You know, Hume doors and Corinthian doors sell a billion of them a year, so they're twenty four dollars fifty. You know, whereas an 870 door, which is livable silver, and uh, you know, and a 920 door, which is livable gold, uh, you know, they're about thirty or forty dollars more on each level mm. Mm. the point is is that when human corinthian all of a sudden are selling a billion 870 doors um then they become the most cost effective or yep. not the 820 anymore so there's all those sorts of arguments as it's, well it's about that volume uh, when, you, when you go to full accessibility um you know i.e uh grab rails shower spaces uh movement areas, um, you know, the wider doors and the wider hallways and also having the right uh, measurements on each side of doors for approaches, that's certainly a more costly exercise. Um, But I guess what we're talking about, I guess, as builders and a a family is, is, is universal housing, coming up with a base product that's universally accessible by all. Mm. Um, And also... Um, you know, a lot of the livable housing provisions are things like putting cardboard in the bathroom wall so it's easy to put mobility aids or grab rails on later. Um, you don't see those sorts of things. Uh, but they're, but they're very easy to do and they save a lot of pain and expense down the track. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that that is really eye-opening. I never thought it would be that that cheap and that easy to work out because um, it's like when you take your car to be fixed, you've got, if you're not a mechanic, you've got no idea what's under the hood and the way you've just explained that has just really simplified the whole um, process to me um, as a, um, as a layperson in terms of building anything. And I think if you think about our world um, in terms of, We've got an ageing population. Most people don't want to go into homes. If you don't have a disability now, you're likely to have one when you're 85 or you're likely to need these access and inclusion um, provisions. And if we're putting them into our homes now when we're building them at 30, 40 years of age, um, mm. it's it's a really great benefit into the future, isn't it? I mean... I, I, can I say, I was quite aghast when you said 20 grand or 30 grand or 10 grand here or there. I... I nearly fell off my chair when you said that. I mm. uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 um, I, I'm very surprised at 
just showing that, to be honest. Yeah. Oh, that's what yeah. our experience was um, in building. We didn't go through a project time. We went through an architect and a builder and um, – it was very a very expensive mm. process and now I'm living in the home, I sort of think maybe I shouldn't have bothered with this or with that. You know, it was just fancies that I had at the time and they cost me a lot of money. But because you're not a builder and you don't know, mm. um, you mm. know, there, there can be all these hidden costs that I'm not saying he, he was a great guy. We had a great experience with him. He was lovely. But uh, when we're talking about access, when you said it was that cheap, like two and a half, even if you had said to me 10000 for the whole build, I would have thought, wow, that's nothing. Mm. Let's put that in now. Mm. To But I wonder, um, you know, what the impacts are like in the industry there, Andrew and Lud, in terms of, you know, the the um, the learnings that are going on in the trades and the builders um, in terms of accessible design. Um, your, your experience, I'm, I have no doubt, and being at those awards um, in the ACT, um, I can see you. I've, I've no doubt you've had an influence on other people in the industry. Mm. Um, and of course, there's the new specialist disability accommodation SDA um, funding that that people are having in their in their own plans, so they can come to the party with with some additional funding from NDIS um, to support the design uh, and upkeep of of you know far more accessible housing. So, I think. You know that I'm really interested in how that's rippling out through the industry, both through your experience um, directly and and also I suppose what you're seeing happening um, among the trades. Because maybe people will move away from that, just saying, you know, our oh, computer says no, we can't do that. It'll cost you cost you mm. an arm and a leg. Uh, to saying, okay, well, this is something that I can learn from as well. This is going to be better for me, better for my business, better for for my future customers. Um, what what are your thoughts around what's happening? Well, I think the um, you know the mainstream builders, I think um, you know, aren't taking a great deal of notice. Um, right. I mean, in Canberra, community, community housing groups and the ACT government, you know, were delivering all social housing and the majority of community housing built accessible, either livable gold or, or adaptable Class C standards uh, as a as a policy. Uh, yeah. And that's certainly introducing, you know, the concept to a lot more trades um, and builders, uh, yeah. but generally only, uh, you know, government contract builders. Right. I haven't, I haven't really seen any mainstream sort of project home builders or custom builders that are taking it on board. Yeah. Yet. yeah. Uh, and I think, and that's why I think, you know, the, the voluntary approach is possibly not going to work. It's or, not going to work. It's proven that it hasn't. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, co- and some sort of codification, uh, you know, yeah. is going to be the only way forward. I, I think, I, you know, I've been out to a number of the new developments out here in the Illawarra um, where, you know, you've got fantastic blocks, um, beautiful new homes, but, you know, just silly things like where you've got the opportunity to do it in terms of a single, uh, you know, an accessible path of travel to the front door. um, And yet it seems almost for no reason there's a couple of steps there when you could easily have got away without that. And and that's That's right. And it's it's just because that's how it's done yeah. you know everyone expects that you're going to have a step into your front door yes. um, yeah. you know and, and that's you know what certainly dad has um you know had a lot of issues with after his recovery sure we've yeah. got a great house he can move around here and you know and be a nuisance to mum all day long <laughs> go up and down the lift um you know um and, and live quite comfortably but he can't visit 
guess when you when you put it that way, like the step into the door, right? You just yeah. When you well, my experience has been with tradespeople. I've renovated a couple of houses and built one. My experience has been when you said when you say I don't really want to step into the front door, mm. they will come up with fifty reasons why you have to have a step into the front door. Like I've said, I don't want a cavity slider. They'll come up with 50 reasons why cavity sliders are the best thing. Mm. Um, you know, all of this stuff, that's what happens when you've just said that about the step into the front door. They've always done it, mm. so they just are going to put the step into the front door when you don't really need it, do you? There are, could be other ways around it. And mm. from what you've said... No, look, I under, from a building viewpoint, as I said, it can, it can have a lot to do with the block sometimes. If you've got a block that slopes down to the front door, then, you know, is it, it's, it's probably more practical to have a step for waterproofing mm. reasons. And, yeah, um, but there are ways around it. I mean, and you do not, you don't have to have no threshold. You know, you can you can have a thirty-five mil or in the garage an eighty-six mil and use a, a easy to buy and cheap threshold ramp, mm-hmm. um, which makes it equally accessible. So yep. there are a lot of ways around these sorts of issues for housing. Yep. Um, and the front door doesn't have to be the accessible point too. You know, you can you can mm. have it as an internal access door as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so do builders, be, you know, do builders do this at TAFE? So when I talk to ICT people about making technology accessible for people who have no vision um, or who are blind or have low vision, um, I say to them everybody should have to do in their first year Access 101 as the subject, you know. So uh, maybe when builders go to TAFE or they go to wherever they learn to be a builder, uh, that could be a subject that they do. Do you know if that actually exists in the building trade or anything like that? No, my understanding is is that you know the building diplomas and certificate courses obviously teach you know the national building code, yep, uh, and the construction methodology that's within there for compliance, how to read it, how to use it, and how to references and how to how to comply with it. Hmm. And of course, it has no access standards in there whatsoever. But if um, it was codified, they might have to do that. Hey, like a. Hmm. Well, that's right. Yeah. yeah, it would it would then become mainstream. And look, a lot of our trades um, don't some some of them probably don't even know that we're building livable gold homes. Yeah, because wow. you don't actually notice to the yeah. layperson you can actually see why it's any different. Yeah. Um, and but, but your other um, tradies you know, on site, they haven't said, "Oh, why have you done it that way?" They just don't even notice either. No. Mm. Mm. No, you, you wouldn't. No, I mean, you probably sometimes the wet areas can be a bit of a giveaway, but in livable silver, um, you know, most of the, the requirements are, are completely mm. unnoticeable. But I, I do think, you know, the wet areas, the bathrooms, um, you know, it's it's a bit of a work of art, isn't it, you know, to get the, the fall right on the tiling and, and you know, to, that's where I think some of the trades are learning great in, skills. Uh, in, it, it can be in full accessibility where you've yep. got to get the grades right, mm, um, mm. but uh, but for livable gold or for uni- universal housing requirements, you know those that's... meticulous grades aren't a requirement. Right. Simply having one shower that's threshold free, mm-hmm. uh, that's the requirement. Mm. And you don't have to do it to both bathrooms. Um, yep. You can you can make the the master bedroom the the noted uh, livable bedroom yep. uh, with an ensuite that's got a threshold free shower and and yep. um, you know the appropriate circulation spaces. I think, um, and then you can. I think there's going to be a lot of people who are very happy 
they're living in Renaissance homes from the sound of it as they particularly, they may not even be aware of it, uh, you know, but as they age, they'll be, oh, that was clever. Uh, you know, that, that that's yeah. the thing. I think some well, of this. You know, the whole concept of universal housing is not just for, for disability. You yeah. know, it's for permanent disability, temporary disability, uh, you know, mobility restricted, yeah. aged people, young families, kids, um, exactly. prams. Yeah. Babies, you know, most strips, slips, trips, and falls happen in the family home. About eighty exactly. percent of them. Yeah, and it's usually because of steps. Yeah. So you you guys are clearly um, adaptable. You know, you like to um, you don't accept things as they are. I saw. Can you tell us? I was really interested in your your boat adaptations yeah. as well. You know, to to, to help <laughs> maintain that maintain that connection with that passion for fishing yeah. you've got um i mean you you've that's ridiculous that you've you've made you've you've um adapted this boat to uh, you know to take this wheelchair tell us about that it's a, it's an amazing thing it's funny you uh, you ask about but not funny um <laughs> there was a fellow uh, one of the carers that comes around and uh uh, uh showers etc me in the morning was uh I was showing him the boat and, and how the wheelchair comes off the back back of it, but I'll I'll have to have it a hand on that. <laughs> he was the one that uh, that had it all done. Oh, um, fantastic! Where you go? There. Oh, look, I think I mean you know I was blessed by the fairies with my parents growing up. We were campers, fishermen, um, you know, four wheel drivers all around Australia. Uh, you know, Dad was always the go-to man when something broke. He'd figure out a way of fixing it. You know, with a toothpick and a bobby pin and a band-aid or something. <laughs> Fantastic. And, and all his friends, you know, you know, knew and loved Dad as the bloke that would fix their cars or get them going again or, or mm. you know, avoid death in the outback. So, I kind of had that upbringing and and. I mean, the the bad thing about that was was that there was so much more for Dad to lose, mm. you know, when he had his accident. And certainly in those first couple of years, uh, you know, as a son, seeing his mental struggle, um, trying to cope with, you know, what his new life would be uh, was difficult. Mm. Um, so I guess being his son, you know, I eventually once I started, you know, getting over the, the change in our lives and, and Dad's injury, uh, you know, started to focus on, not what we'd lost or what dad had lost, but what we could still possibly do mm. and how we might do it. Uh, you know, and the combination of, of me researching, uh, thank goodness for Google, and and uh, and finding new products and, and, and looking at other stories and, and dad's friends, you know, putting things in like, you know, four-wheel driving again and camping and fishing. Um, I think it... I don't even think I really realised that we'd actually do these things. I was just trying to put some things in front of my dad, uh, you know, so he had things to look forward to, um, yeah. possibilities, yeah. rather than focusing on what he'd lost. And, you know, lo and behold, we we, we crossed the Canning Stock route uh, mm-hmm. with a group of friends, um, you know, building a little mini hospital every morning and packing it up every night. Wow. Um, and, um, and we did that, what, only... Five or five, years. five years after his accident, yeah. um, and uh, and you know getting back fishing again was obviously very important, and and you know we worked out a way, and with a, a combination of great friends and good ideas and a few trial and errors, uh, you know we've made. Mm. Um, 
So, and I, and I think you're, you're right, it's come from our, our building background and, uh, and I guess ability to, to problem solve and, and think outside the square a little bit mm. um, and come up with, this, with some solutions. Mm. And we see, we see that as well with people with disability and the many people that we've met through this podcast is um, that, that sort of, and the boat was called Can Do as well, <laughs> that Can Do attitude. Can Do, um, yeah. You know, I love that. Um, and just, just being, you know, thinking ahead. I think how important was that for you, Lord, to have, have things to look forward to, seeing this, this uh, boat coming together? Like did you think he was just mad or, or what were you thinking? Or were you just stoked at the idea or oh, what? Wow. Uh, look, I, I, I was um, pretty well resigned to the fact that uh, in my mind I'd never be able to fish again. And uh, I sort of was happy that I'd, I'd, I'd at least done it. But, um, you know, when Andrew, when Andrew started uh, thinking about, you know, sorting out uh, um, a, a new boat, uh, which it was, uh, he uh, he parked it outside the front of his home and I, I watched it uh, um, come together wow. and uh, I got a little bit excited about <laughs> that. And, uh, <laughs> you know, to the point that uh, I started to look forward to all, all of this and uh, I, um, I'm sitting here right at the moment Um dreaming about when we might be able to get up there again with all this COVID going around. Oh, exactly. Um, uh, a few months takes me a year to recover from each trip. So, Does it? Yeah. Um, it, it's, look, it's a lot of work for the people around me and I, I really appreciate it. And then Andrew, as Andrew said, we've got some great friends up there, um, like really, really great hospitable people and uh, – you know, uh, uh, I can't uh, appreciate them more than I have either. It's just uh, fantastic, and uh, you know, I uh, I'm back to I'm back I'm back to feeling normal, to be honest. Yeah, awesome. That's great. It's one of my, I guess, an analogy I use a fair bit is is that you know, Dad's a quadriplegic. You know, he he can't really do much with anything below his mm. chest line, and um, We've been, you know, across the Canning stock route, four-wheel driving, camping, fishing, uh, sleeping on a boat in the Kimberley, um, you know, camping up at Indy Lakes and, and doing all sorts, all sorts of these wonderful things, mm. yet he's living in a country where he can't visit 99% of the homes. Mm. He just can't get into them. I, I can't get into my mum's home. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it was quite a number of years ago, but... Um, you know, I well, I could, but it would probably cost you know thirty thousand dollars to to modify all the all the steps and and uh, <laughs> get the doors wide enough so my wheelchair would fit through them and that and and the like. You know, it's just uh, um, it's just almost well, certainly not impossible for me. But I'm, I can't visit any of my friends. Houses, um, you know, I, I I do have some great friends, and uh, you know, we do meet up regularly, but it's certainly not at their homes. Mm. 
I think, uh, you know, you know, the mental health aspect as well can't be underestimated mm. if we have, you know, residential communities with a much larger proportion of universal homes. Mm. Um, you know, it just makes so much sense to me. Yeah, so yeah, true. It's well, a, it's uh, Andrew, you won the that ACT Chief Minister's Inclusion Award for your work mm. in accessible homes. Now, um, you're obviously running a, a business, so you, and looking after your dad and you know uh, family and all the rest of it. But how much um, do you think? Do you feel a bit of a sense of uh, at least working in the Canberra community? Um, you know, some ad- are you doing any advocacy work uh, with with colleagues or around around sure, what needs I'm, to change? Uh, yeah, I'm I'm one of the uh, on the uh, board of the ACT Inclusions Council. Yeah. Um, and obviously also part of the the NBA Residential Builders Council. Um, and I, you know, advocate for in- inclusive housing or universal housing, um, you know, any opportunity that I can get. Mm. Um, and, you know, and try and lead by example with a company and be seen as a project home that's making it, uh, you know, uh, important um, yeah. and getting it out there into the mainstream and having people ask questions about it. Yeah. Um, Fantastic. You know, and, and and getting a lot of people or, or the the community or the or the purchase in general to understand what the concept is, and that it's not just it's not disabled housing. Mm. It's uh, it's it's housing that's universal for everyone. Um, and um, and that's a a bit of a slow and tedious process sometimes. Mm. Um, but you know, we are we are getting there, and the and the. You know, the Australian Network of Universal Housing's obviously pushing and advocating hard for codification by 2022. Mm. Um, so, you well, know, it's, it's becoming a, you know, a talked about issue and I think people are starting to, to ask about it and to, un, to understand it. But, you know, well, today I, I certainly don't see too many builders that, um, that advertise livability or, univer- yeah. or the universal housing concept. Well, well, we would we would love to work with you here, um, Andrew. Uh, you know, we're we're a community housing provider ourselves at the Disability Trust, yeah. and um, many of our the people that we support have um, mobility and, and sensory issues. And I think I just think it's so interesting from that built environment perspective. Um, and I think you know, if there's any any builders listening to this podcast, I'm sure um, you could reach out to Andrew at Renaissance Homes. Um, on you know, if you if you want to know more, or um, you know, there's lots of information through Livable Housing Australia, uh, the Specialist Disability Accommodation um, Guidelines under the NDIS, which are quite revolutionary, really, uh, in terms of what what they're trying to achieve there mm-hmm. uh, to stimulate the the building market around more accessible uh, and diverse housing options for people with disability so um, yeah I'm, I'm just really thrilled to hear about what what you guys are up to um, and who knows maybe the disability trust and renaissance homes could do something together sometime <laughs> it would be a pleasure yeah 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 well speaking of um when i signed up to do these podcasts i was mm. on the board of the disability i am on the board of the disability trust and i have disability myself and a lived experience and i um have been advocating for people with disability in my other work, um, but I never thought that I would be able to sit and speak to builders about um, I've been fighting with property in terms of my work, in terms of getting things accessible for staff, but mm. never in terms of speaking to the builders. And it's 
been absolutely fascinating to talk with you and to get a sense of what can actually be done um, for a very low cost mm. um, to make homes accessible and universally accessible for people um, to two highly experienced builders that in that four seconds their life was completely changed mm. um, with disability and how you guys have made that um part of the work that you do every day mm. as builders you probably never thought about it before the accident happened as as renaissance homes and mm. then all of a sudden you're, you're put into this situation i particularly like that analogy i think it was really really poignant what you just said andrew about um you can travel um all mm. the way up to the kimberley um with somebody with disability who um, can't walk and as you said has no mobility below the chest you can travel all of that way in the outback go fishing um, and yet you can't get into 99 percent of people's homes mm. um, and I think if COVID teaches us anything because we're all shut shut up and locked up and shut down and however they want to put it and you can't go visiting mm. people's homes how that might affect a person you know yeah. we just take it for granted that we just go to our neighbor's home or go to the person up the street's home or go to our parents home um and as you've just said you can't get into 99 percent of people's houses well Look. talk about that's talk right. about labeling the disabling that's i mean that's exactly right there yeah yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for um, meeting with us today and for talking mm. to us and um, for sharing your experience, Lord. Um, what happened to you? That can be quite um, a significant um, thing to share with people. Um, and also to you, Andrew, for sharing all of your knowledge um, and your experience and the personal experience that you had um, with your dad's accident with us today. Mm. And hopefully, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you much. For 